The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Not many chief executives last 30 years in the job. They might have their founders. Brian Joffe got there at Bidvest, Adrian Gore at Discovery, Hendrik de Toy at 91. They're not many, though. So is Roger Foster, the founder and chief executive at Airlink. What was the big idea, Roger? 30 years ago, you and a partner get together and you buy a business called Link Airways, as I've managed to sort of put it together. What was the big dream in those days? Good evening, Bruce, and thank you very much indeed for having me on your program. Good evening to your listeners. Um, yeah, that's uh, you, you're asking me to wrap my memory, go back <laughs> uh, in the annals of history, and it's a long time ago. Um, you know, Barry Webb and I, who were the founders of, of Airlink in its current form, um, had been in, embroiled in commercial construction, building activity, uh, building warehousing for the likes of Metro Cash and Carry and whatever. And the building industry was going through a little bit of a slump at the time. We had been quite successful in our activities in that game. I'd been involved in uh, private and commercial aviation for quite some time, since 1986. And uh, we ended up being owed quite a lot of money by the old Link Airways. And we saw it as an opportunity to convert what they owed us into a stake in the business. And we got involved, we paid money into it, recapitalized the business, but to be absolutely brutally blunt, we had not a cooking clue about the airline industry. We knew a little bit about airplanes and we knew a little bit about why people needed to get to where they needed to get to. Um, but it's, it was skin in the game and learn the hard way about uh, the airline business, which is very different from flying airplanes. You know, it's about a lot more complicated than that. It's a real business. It's a really complex, scientific, mathematical business. Uh, what was uh, what was Link Airways then suddenly Airlink? Um, what what was it doing at the time? Was it linking the small towns? Was it linking the regions? What was yeah. its sort of primary? Yes, it function? was. And I mean, it had its it had its origins dating back to Lofeld Air Services in 1967, and Lofeld morphed into a business called Magnum. And you know, those of you, those of the listeners that have been around a bit um, in South Africa and in the economy would recognise. Magnum with a banner, you know, the big little airline. And uh, it used to connect places like Ladysmith with Johannesburg, Nelspread in the old days, that little airfield that was on the on the mountain, as it were, and they used to call it HMS Nelspread, uh, Peter Maritzburg, Petersburg in those days before it became Polapwani and so on. And um, there were little other routes like Newcastle and Freyhead and, and the likes. Uh, and, and that became um, Link Airways once Magnum joined forces with a business called City Air and Border Air, which was based in East London at the time. Um, and it had been going for a bit, uh, unfortunately fell foul of its, its shareholding. And there was a bit of a conflict amongst the shareholders. They couldn't decide really clearly uh, on the strategy and or the management. And um, it ended up owing some money around town. And that's when uh, it went into illiquidity issues in 1992. Uh, as I said, we were owed money and we, we came in. It used to operate smaller aircraft, the likes of Metroliners and Piper Chieftains. Uh, we knew a little bit about those sorts of aircraft because they're more lean towards general aviation. Um, and we came along into the business and we thought, well, let's repurpose this business, give it a new lease of life find a new strategy and get on with it. And that's exactly what we did. 
Yeah, and I mean, you you made a couple of acquisitions in those days. I think I remember Matavia or Matavia Airlines. I don't know if I do. But I mean, a lot of airlines have come and gone in that period. 15, 20, 25, I don't know. Um, have you sort of kept count of the a body count, if you like, of, of airlines that have tried and failed during that period? Oh, there are a lot, Bruce, and I don't know that the number is 50, but it's certainly more than 10. And um you know, you talk about Matavia, that wasn't our first acquisition. Our first acquisition was Midlands Aviation, which was a competitor based in Pietermaritzburg, and that happened uh, before the uh, promulgation of the Competitions Act of 1998. Matavia was probably the second acquisition that we did. Uh, so Airlink, you know, as it is today, is a combination of Midlands Aviation, the original Magnum, which became Link, and, uh, and obviously Matavia as well. Uh, and the third one was... Um, we acquired uh, uh, the old Royal Swazi National Airways Corporation business and turned that into a business called Swaziland Airlink, and that happened in 1999. And there have been quite a few since then. And when we talk about airline failures, um, we had a relationship with a business called Flightstar in 1993 and 1994. Flightstar went out of business in 1994, and there were many since then. I can remember the likes of Phoenix, uh, there was Nationwide, there was One Time, there was uh, Bope, which became Sun Air, and um, uh, d- just too many to even start yeah. comprehending yeah. the counting. And it's, it, you know, it's an airline business which has been peppered with failures. And in fact, I'd like to say, I'd go so far as to stick my neck out and say that you know, this is a failed industry and the survivors have survived a failed industry. And there are a few of us that uh, are the last men standing, as it were. Uh, It's really a transformed industry since pre-COVID, but it really had failed a long time before. And if you just take a look at the history book and all of those airlines that had failed along the track, uh, one can quickly comprehend that there was a problem in the industry. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, it also uh, drew all kinds of white boys in terms of egos and people wanted to have the airline. Santaco wanted to have an airline, the taxi guys. Uh, there was another one there. What, though, I mean, has made you survive? Two guys who don't know, um, you know, how to run an airline. You can fly an aeroplane, but that's fundamentally different from running an airline. What's made you survive over the last 30 years where others have literally crashed and burned? I think it's very different um, having a scientific understanding of the business, having a, an accounting understanding of the business as well. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have a partner in the form of Barry Weber, chartered accountant, an astute gentleman, uh, somebody who practices frugality in his general life. And I, I learned a lot from that. Um, you know, we worked those things out together in the beginning. You know, cut your costs to the bone and make sure that you always have enough revenue to cover your costs. And at the same time as doing that, recognizing the importance of profitability of the business, you can't build equity without profits. So you have to be profitable, but you need to build equity as well so that you can build a balance sheet, which becomes the platform from which you can venture into whatever it is that you want to take the business into. And you have to have agility. You have to have entrepreneurial skills. You have to have vision and you have to convert the vision into strategy. And then you have to have determination. And you have to have the passion to execute that determination as well. But all along, you have to have a balance sheet. And if there is one thing that I can say that um, has contributed to the success of Airlink is nurturing the balance sheet and making sure that we've got one, making sure that there is equity on the balance sheet at all times. And don't ever overstate that equity. Make sure that it is conservatively understated. And I think if there's one thing that has helped us to survive, not only the COVID pandemic, 
and what it brought along as a disaster, frankly, to the entire industry globally, as well as locally. But we also had to survive what happened in our longstanding relationship with our franchise partner, um, where we, we lost a fortune. We lost almost a billion rand in that in that venture. It, explain this. Hand, the, I mean, you, this we're talking about SAA, right? I mean, because SAA, there's, there's, this, there's been an arrangement, a, a relationship with SAA for, for many years, and that, unfortunately, has uh, did harm you quite badly during COVID. Well, I think let's not underestimate the value that we gleaned from that relationship. Sure. And yes, you know, to lose almost a billion rand as a private business, uh, you know, uh, small capitalized business from private pockets, uh, it's a disaster when you lose almost a billion rand because you could say that that's a lifetime of earnings in anybody's language. Um, but if I go back into the history book, you know, we started the relationship right from the get-go. Um, you know, when Barry and I were, were sitting in a, in a small little porter camp in the boardroom, which was also my office, uh, in the porter camp, we were thinking about, you know, where we wanted to take the business to. And, and right from that outset, we believed that we didn't want to go into a confrontation with the National Airways, the National Airline. We thought it would be better for us uh, to work in conjunction with in some form of symbiosis or the other. And, and that's what we accomplished. We joined the Voyager Frequent Flyer program in 1995, and that was useful to us. Uh, we became fully-fledged franchisees of South African Airways in 1997. And, you know, to be frank, that became an important springboard for us to venture into a comprehensive network um, of smaller destinations in South Africa and throughout the sub-region. So we got that as a benefit, but we also learned from that relationship, you know, what not to do, um, how, you know, how, how to run your business in a comprehensive way and, and look after and nurture the relationship that you have with your staff. It's interpersonal, but also your other stakeholders, your customers are the most important stakeholders that you have. Without your staff, you can't appease your customers and without your customers, you don't have to have any staff. And then your financial stakeholders, your banks, your lessors, um, you know, you need to establish relationships and the importance of all of that is to preserve your integrity. Firstly, to cultivate your integrity and then to look after it with everything that you absolutely have. And we learned about that by seeing how little importance integrity had in other instances and at what it cost the organization at the end of the day. And that also applies to the relationship with people, staff, etc. You know, we saw people come and go. We saw top layers of management. You know, as long as I've been in this industry for 31 years, uh, and I'm not talking about aviation, I'm talking specifically about the airline industry. Yeah. I've seen more chief executives pass through South African Airways than I have been years in this industry. And I mean, that is just completely incomprehensible. Um, but it just shows that, you know, there's no value of the human capital involved in the business or the preservation of um, intellectual knowledge and institutional memory. Uh, those are all very, very important elements of running a business. So we learned a lot in terms of our experience, and we also had the ability to expand into this comprehensive network, which we, we now uh, operate throughout 45 destinations, 55, 56 routes throughout the sub-region, 75,000 flights per annum. You know, Airlink has become a comprehensive business, and it's not just because we've been committed passionately to it for the last 31 years but also because we've learned from the mistakes of our business partners, you know, like that franchise relationship that we were in for so, for so long. 
with Roger Foster, the Chief Executive of Airlink. The amazing story of survival in 30 years of airline turbulence in South Africa has expressed it absolutely beautifully. Um, more with Roger Foster, the Chief Executive and founder, co-founder of Airlink, in a moment. The Money Show is brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. The bravery to imagine and the will to get things done. That's Africanacity. APSA is a registered FSP. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. So how does an airline survive losing a billion rand as part of a franchise relationship that ends because the franchise partner um, is a shadow of its former self. Roger Foster, the chief executive at Airlink. You go into the the pandemic like every airline. You're grounded like airlines around the world. That means there's no cash coming in through the front door. You've got outstanding liabilities. You've got tickets that you've sold. You've got to decide whether to pay back your customers, defer the flights to later if you're going to make it through this. That must have been a terrifying time for you, Roger. It was hectic. I think in the... Um 31 years odd, okay, so it wasn't quite 31 at that time. It was about 29 years because this is a couple of years ago already. Um, you know, you look at it and you, you, you're you not quite sure that um, that this is real. Uh, you know, it's uh, one of those out-of-body type experiences where you're watching television, you're hearing that, you know, the global economies are shutting down, businesses are shutting down. There's a lockdown that is manifesting throughout the world and you, you still can't believe that it's going to end up on your doorstep. But it does. And then what do you do? In the meantime, you're grappling with a situation where you've just lost a billion. You haven't quite accounted for the full billion yet, but you've lost this money. And, um, you know, you look at your own cash flow and you think, gee whiz, you know, now how are we going to survive on the little that we've got left? Um, and you, in a lockdown situation, you have to send your staff home and you watch them leaving the office, switching off the lights, taking their pot plants so that they can keep on feeding them. And then, you know, you yourself end up locking the doors, switching the lights, turning off the computers, the operating systems, and you go home. And you don't even know what the heck is going to happen the next day. The next day you wake up and you start calling your executive leadership group and saying, okay, guys, now what? You know, there's, there's no point in sitting around doing nothing. Let's get together, even if it's in a virtual environment, which we'd set up in the meantime, and let's start thinking about how are we going to get out of this? What are we going to do? What's our plan of action? And you formulate a plan. At first, you do it in a virtual environment. First day or two, the second days and third days and fourth days, you think, gee, was, wouldn't it be better to sit around a boardroom table? So you write yourself out a permit and you write certain key staff out a permit, get together in the boardroom and you strategize and you come up with a plan. And then you start thinking, well, how are we going to execute this plan? It's a great opportunity to start with a clean sheet. The big difficulty is that whereas you may have an optimized clean sheet plan when it comes to the implementation. You don't know what you're going to get because you've never seen this before. And you don't have any data to work from. You don't have any expertise or any experience whatsoever. So you have to be agile. And um, when it comes to as the lockdown starts easing and you're entitled to start operating somewhere, you've got to be able to move that market opportunity and start generating revenue from it. And that's exactly what we did. We built the business up bit by bit, step by step. Sorry, Bruce, it seems like we've got um, two things. We have, well, well, there are some gremlins on the line, and I'm hoping that we can survive the gremlins for the next three minutes, just to allow us to uh, complete the discussion. But clearly, I mean, you've emerged from this crisis stronger 
um, and able to capitalize on the considerable void left by the virtual collapse of SAA and by the actual collapse of BA uh, um, and and Kalula in this process, yeah. the Kame business. Yeah. Now, I think the important thing is that, you know, when SAA defaulted, we were given no choice but to jettison that um, relationship, and we did. Uh, but jettisoning the relationship meant that we had to stand on our own two feet in terms of a inventory posting system. So we put that all together. Fortunately, we had had some foresight, and the foresight went about developing a contingency plan early on in the piece when we realized that SAA was in deep trouble and going into distress. So we put that in about two years earlier, and it was uh, it materialized just before SAA went into business rescue that we were able to turn on our own booking system. And that's what we did. We jettisoned the relationship. We turned on our own booking system. And then we started building on it bit by bit. And um, I think that together with crafting this clean sheet optimized business plan and then being able to implement it helped us enormously. And yes, you're right. When SAA was down and out, uh, there was a need for airlines, not only at the domestic level, to operate key routes like Johannesburg, Cape Town, Durban, Port Elizabeth, et cetera as well as doing everything else that we ordinarily would have done operating to all of the smaller routes. But we also had the ability to operate within the region. And there were certain opportunities that beat our door down, like for example, Namibia, where Air Namibia itself had collapsed. And uh, Airlink seemed to be the only airline that had the propensity and the guts and the courage to get involved in the Namibian market at that time and be their air bridge to the world, which we were. And we did so reliably and we've endeared ourselves to the Namibian society and communities. And we've been able to operate services reliably. And I use Namibia as an example, not only between Johannesburg and Vintook, Cape Town and Vintook, Johannesburg and Walthus Bay, Cape Town and Walthus Bay. That example applies throughout the region. Botswana, we operated between Johannesburg and Khabarone, between Johannesburg and Okavango Swamps and Pisani. And then Zimbabwe, the same, Bulawayo. We were the only air bridge between Bulawayo and the world for a period of time. Same thing with, with Harare. And um, when you know, the airlines operating to Vic Falls collapsed, they fell over and they, they dropped the ball vis-a-vis their customers. We were able to mobilize uh, airlift and emplace it in that market and provide reliable services and that way around, uh, make sure that we looked after the customers that subsequently developed love for the airline brand. Uh, which we exactly that flexibility roger has been has been the secret that ability to expand that ability to grow are you seeing the environment becoming more competitive again or is it sort of fairly stable i i see competition increasing over time um you know as long as there is a market opportunity and for sure uh, there isn't enough capacity at certain times of the day certain days of the week certain weeks of the month and certain months of the year at the moment. And, you know, if you take a Friday and you look at the demand for capacity on a route like Johannesburg, Cape Town, you know, there's over demand under capacity and the same thing happens on a Sunday. But if you have a look at the capacity and supply to demand uh, equilibrium on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or possibly on a Thursday morning, uh, there's more than enough capacity for that market. And I think that, you know, the, the industry has, has burned its fingers. The stakeholders of the industry uh, stakeholders to the industry have burned their fingers. And I mean financial stakeholders, uh, operating lessors, suppliers, original equipment manufacturers, etc. They've all burned their fingers in this industry here at the local and regional, sub-regional level. So I think that there's going to be uh, a 
cautious entrepreneurial adventure into supplying capacity as the market increases. We need to bear in mind that the market has not restored domestically and no. sub-regionally to the levels that uh, were there pre-COVID. That will happen on, on a gradualized basis. And I think that the surviving uh, competitors um, are adding capacity as the market requires it, perhaps not quite as fast as the rebounds is happening, um, but that will normalize over time uh, and competition will intensify. And I think that's Roger. a good thing. We must leave it there. I'm so sorry to cut you off, Roger Foster. But what an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And um, yeah, wonderful to get the story of um, Airlink and its recovery in a crisis that has crushed lesser run operations.